0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Craig Gunkel, Chief Executive Officer for Iconics. Craig joined Iconics back in 2017 with more than 20 years of expertise in the paper, packaging, and retail industries. He brings a proven track record of leadership in helping companies thrive. Prior to joining Iconics, he served as president Enterprise Solutions for Westrock, and during his tenure there, Craig held a variety of executive roles, including leading its merchandising displays and folding carton businesses. He currently serves on the board for the Wake Forest University Business School, the Purdue University Krannett School of Management, and the Atlanta area Boy Scouts. Craig earned a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership from Purdue University. Craig Gunkel, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thanks, Brian. I'm excited to be here and, and look forward to uh, spending some time together.
0: Yeah, wonderful to have you back. We had a nice chat a week or so ago and uh, got to know each other a little bit through it. And you've had a wonderful career and we've talked a lot about kind of transitioning from larger companies to uh, the middle market. But let's start in the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early family life where you grew up and, you know, uh, your early family, and your siblings and mom and dad. Where were you and what do they all do?
1: sure well i was born in kansas city missouri all right and i've got a older brother and an older sister um, my brother is about four years older than i and my sister is about six years older cool and we moved you know i remember a few things from my early childhood but we moved to fort wayne indiana when i was about eight years old Okay. and yep. uh so basically I, I i grew up in the midwest um nice. went through grade school and high school and uh in Fort Wayne and then ultimately ended up going to Purdue University yeah, um, great. yeah it's, mom great. And dad, it's great
0: dad uh, dad dad worked, mom worked in the home what was the kind of the family structure
1: uh, dad was uh, a salesperson in the steel industry for most of his life okay. Got it. Uh, ran some small businesses along the way my mom actually was a very successful dietitian so she ah, okay. started a um, dietetic consulting firm uh, when we moved to Indiana and it ended yeah. up growing to be the largest consulting firm in Indiana, wow. Ohio and Michigan. So she she had a really cool career, built a nice little business, an entrepreneur. She's,
0: yeah, she's the entrepreneur I, of the family. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I said, fortunately I got my mom's brain. She was valedictorian of <laughs> her college class and unfortunately I got my dad's look. So, you know, just, <laughs> well,
0: you know, better, better to have one of both, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know, complain. they're,
1: they're, they're both, uh, you know, really, my, my parents are born in the late 30s, and so yeah. they really were born at a pretty rough time in the country. Sure. My dad was in western Kansas and grew up on grew wheat up a wheat farm. So, person, so yeah. yeah, so they uh, they understand the uh, the importance of, of a dollar and taught me at an early age, hey, you work hard no matter what you do, and, and you save money. And to this day, I still very, use very little credit in my life. I, I pretty much do things that I've earned, and, and I pay for things right. with them, which is what my dad taught me.
0: Awesome. Good Good student in school?
1: Uh, you know, I was a great student in uh, high school. I, I did very well. Uh, I'd say I was an okay student in college, you know, like right, many there, young, there, young, there. young people went to college and had a lot of freedom and wasn't quite sure how to manage that at first. But uh, uh, so I figured it out. So I actually went to school. I was in the honors engineering program at Purdue cool i ended up uh transferring out of that after a couple years uh bounced around a bit but ended up getting an industrial management degree it's actually called organizational leadership which uh, was actually great for me you know as i got to college i realized i really didn't want to be an engineer and and uh and had worked my way through college in a manufacturing plant literally working driving fork trucks and things like that and really fell in love with manufacturing so uh kind of kind of came together in college, and uh, and then I became a very good college student once I got really focused on what I wanted to do and yeah, kind of what passionate. I wanted to become. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It
0: was great. What, what attracted you to Purdue? What were some of the reasons behind going there? Oh,
1: geez. I'd like to say there was something really uh, great, but uh, the truth of the matter is I was looking at a lot of different schools, uh, and I was a good athlete, so I had some opportunities yeah. to go do some different things at other schools, and my one of my close friends went for a visit to Purdue, and his dad wouldn't have been able to drive him down there, so I ended up going with him. And my sister actually went to Purdue as well, But mm-hmm. and just kind of, uh, I don't know, just ended up liking it. and I yeah, uh, great college actually applied community. Late. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh. It's a very diverse community. I don't think it doesn't get the – it's a lot bigger than people think, and it's a lot more diverse than people think. Right. It's, well, it's right, in right. The, you know Indiana, but it is really an international school, which I loved about it. And, it, again, it's a bigger school. People think yeah, that Purdue well. is uh, relatively small, but there's I think there's roughly – you know, 40 some year. Year. Yeah, thousand. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And and you mentioned sports. Did you play sports in high school and in, in junior high? What, what, were, what were the sports you pursued?
1: I did. You know, I was like a lot of people my age. We played every sport growing up. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's not like now where my kids are committed to one sport at a young age. Right. It feels like, but I was captain of my high school wrestling team and captain of my high school soccer team. Cool. Uh, so I was, I was good at both those sports and, uh, uh, I, I, I loved soccer. Uh, wrestling was like I was decent at it, so every year I had to lose weight, which I always hated. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and did you did you go on to play? Uh, did you go on to wrestle or do any college sports?
1: I didn't. I, I had the opportunity to go wrestle a couple places, yeah. but I decided not to. I did play soccer my freshman year at Purdue, at Purdue and then uh, just got uh, you know engaged in other activities, and uh, it was just too, too, too much time consuming. But I, did, I played yeah. soccer at the, kind of the club level and intramural level through my whole college career in fact really kept playing until my mid-40s and uh my last soccer game, I went to the uh, hospital in the ambulance, and my wife said, I think it's time to stop playing soccer.
0: So, okay. <laughs> always a good sign, right? Yeah. Always yeah. a good sign to stop. And what about entrepreneurial things? Uh, did you follow in your mom's footsteps as a kid? Were there, you know, the paper route or other things that you did to earn extra money while you're going through high school and junior high? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I was from the age of 10, I always had a little business going. So I mowed yeah. lawns. And of course, in Indiana, we, if you mowed somebody's lawn, usually, uh, Clean the driveway of. off in the winter. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: Um, so I did a lot of that stuff. I did actually have a paper out for a while, ironically. Uh, and then when I was 14 years old, I had to get my parents to sign a, uh, a waiver to let me go work at Bill Knapp's, which was a restaurant. I oh, was I was a, right. a busboy there and then quickly yeah, became yeah. a waiter. And cool. So I kind of worked my way through high school, uh, mostly doing that. Uh, ended up Tips stocking shows. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They, oh, yeah. <laughs> they loved it. It was great. Then uh, I, mean, I then I ended up um, working third shift in a between after I graduated my before I went to college third shift in a grocery store stocking shelves, oh. which was a pretty interesting experience. Yeah. And like union, I said, were you,
0: were you a union member there? Before? No, 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 no,
1: no. But I was a union member when I was. So then I went to work for a company called Jefferson Smurfit Corporation or CCA um when i was in college like right. summer breaks and all that whenever, whenever i came home from uh college they had a factory in downtown fort wayne and i and i was in a union and i did work there and, and again it was it was uh hard work but great work it, you know today i'm still somewhat in that paper and packaging industry Where that that company was in that industry and it, it really taught me the appreciation of caring about my coworkers at all levels mm-hmm. of the organization it was it was a great great experience and i made good money so i usually worked about 12 hours a day, six days a week during the summers. And so I would rack up a bunch of money to go back to college the next,
0: uh, next year. Yeah. What was the first job out of college?
1: Uh, went back to actually my, after my uh, senior year, my junior year or whatever. Um, um, I went to, I did an internship with that group oh. in the accounting department. And so they hired me, same company, ended up hiring me out of college. Uh, which and that was, was really, in, really in Fort
0: similar. Wayne or, or where was that been?
1: Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I uh, I think I can't remember what my title was. But anyways, I was I bought bought paper and I managed a warehouse and scheduled the plants and uh, it was it was a great job. It was a lot of great experience learned a ton, but uh, that was my first job out of college.
0: Yeah, awesome. And did you start managing people in that job or did that come a little bit later?
1: No, I don't think I managed anyone in that job. Um,
0: when was the first that, time you started doing that? then? was that's, that uh, once you went to uh Rock rock 10 or, or what was that? Yeah. Later? Well, you know,
1: I, I, moved, I had, uh, <laughs> the reason I left Fort Wayne is, uh, you know, like a lot of people growing up in your hometown, you're like, there's gotta be something else I want to try. So a friend uh-huh. of mine had taken a job in North Carolina at a company called Waldorf and, uh, the company I was working for, they, they had a big operational path. And, um, uh, again, m- most of my life changes were based upon really simple data inputs, which were, Hey, I want to get into sales because the sales guys seem to have all the nice cars and do nice things. So.
0: Get all the great dates. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and so, so the company I was working for said, "Well, we're going to put you in this operations path." And uh, and I met this guy that uh, was running this business in North Carolina. He says, "Well, if you come down here, I need a bunch of help for a couple of years fixing some stuff. You come help me mm-hmm. fix stuff for a couple of years, and I'll give you a crack at sales." I said, "Okay." And it happened to be in. Hickory, North Carolina, which is wow. uh, yeah. kind of the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, it was gorgeous. Sure. So I just sure. kind of fell in love, and and I had stayed, started dating my wife at the time, and I convinced her to move down there, and, and the two of us went and found a job. I had a job, she found a job, and uh, we moved to is North she, Carolina. Was she from
0: North Carolina, or, or she was up from Indiana?
1: No, no, she. I met Fort Wayne, Indiana. I met her in Fort Wayne, and I, uh,
0: yeah.
1: I used my charm to uh, convince her after I lure
0: her down. When, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> So uh, cool. yeah. So then so,
0: you made that transition into sales. So was that were you an independent uh, contributor at that time, or were you, did you go and manage a sales team?
1: No, no, I, I still wasn't in sales. So I ended up. Okay. I did mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. I ended up managing a customer service group down there, and I, I, I did a bunch of different things. Um, a lot of process work. I was kind of a Six Sigma person before Six Sigma oh, was ooh, a, a cool. buzzword. Ooh.
0: Um, TQM or, or was referred to as total quality back in that day, or was it a different, it, uh, it was, it was some
1: of that. I mean, a lot right, of it was right. just around basic process of, you know, just right. managing the flow of the plant. And, uh, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we had any specific name for it. It was just, you know, we, my, my boss is a big a fan of Ellie Goldratt at the time. So right. Right. Uh, it right. was all right. about throughput and finding they the constraint
0: on throughput. Yeah, yeah right. exactly.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so so I started managing people, probably was about 24, 25 years old. Oh. Um, and about when that two-year period came up and I was supposed to get my sales job, that's when Rock 10 bought Waldorf and they fired the guy that made the deal with me. And so I was back to square one on that whole deal, But oh. uh, um, which then I just continued for the next year every time I saw the leadership of rock 10 said hey I want a sales job and they, I think they finally just got sick of me talking to him <laughs>
0: asking so much right
1: well it's actually sort of a true story they called me one day and they said look here's some car keys here's a laptop you're going to move to Augusta Georgia it's the worst territory in the country good luck
0: <laughs> you really want it let's just give you a really yeah. good one right okay, Mikey, a big anything. that's right they said okay big shot have fun I said okay great thank you and what tell us about that experience you know did, did you Enjoy going into sales and in that part of your career?
1: You know, I really did. I loved, I, I had been really engaged with a lot of our large customers. And again, a lot of the process work we were doing at the plants, the, the, the items were ran for them, just making sure we could deliver things on time. I spent a lot of time out with our customers and their plants.
0: Right, right.
1: And so when I got into sales, I really viewed um, my job at the time as it was my little own little business. And my yeah. job was not just to sell people stuff, but to provide a service and something that you know, added value to our customers or added value to my to my clients at the time. And so I mean, I really did inherit a, a really kind of interesting, tough territory. And uh, I mean, I just methodically created list of people I wanted to meet and I would go meet them. And then once I got to know them, I just start offering ideas and solutions. In many cases, they were small businesses and, you know, had nothing to do with the product I was selling. I was just giving them ideas on help improve their business in other areas. And then I think they said, well, we'll give you a crack and buy something from you. And And so I just kind of built my sales territory Mm -hmm. and uh, it was, I mean, it was a great experience. It was a perfect role for me at the time. Um, Out on the road a lot,
0: I imagine, right? Doing a lot of calls.
1: Out on the road a lot. Yes. (laughs) Out on the road a lot. And, uh, but you know, it was really, it was really problem solving. It was also, you know, working internally with the resources I Mm -hmm. had. I, I had a knack for, you know, whatever resources we had, I would figure out a way to exploit those for our customers in a positive way. Yeah. And uh, it was a really positive experience and I had a lot of success. So yeah, it was fun. It was a lot you of fun. managed the
0: Eastern region and then I think promoted an EVP and GM. So were you C-suite at that stage when you left Rock 10? Um,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I went from being sales to being a sales manager, a relatively young age, made sales VP. I think it was about, Oh geez, 2009 is when I got my first EVP role, which would I would have been right. part of the executive leadership team at Rock 10. Yeah. And so I got a call from the the CEO one day, and he said, "Hey, I need you to go move to Winston Salem." And I, honest to God, to this day, he's he's a mentor of my life, named Jim Rubright. I love him to death. And I thought he was like, he was asking me to go run the sales group, and and that somebody else was going to be running the business. And, he, and I was like, "Well, who's going to be running the business?" And he's like. <laughs> you're going to be running the business. <laughs> what? And so that was kind of my big break to move back uh, into management uh, or to operations, I would say, into really being a general manager and owning and running a P&L. and l yeah. And uh, so that was back in 09. It was a very entrepreneurial business. It was, you know, we were focused on helping large, big brand companies sell their products at retail right. and provide all the materials to do so. And so that was kind of my big break in 09. And then uh, in 2014, um, uh, Jim retired. We had a new CEO came in Iraq 10 and he asked me to come back to Atlanta and assume the responsibilities of several other businesses. So I, I ended up, um, you know, geez, I can't even remember all the business, but, you know, at the peak, I was running four or five businesses, I probably had a three, $3 billion plus p and yeah, yeah. uh, that I was responsible for. So at that point, I was, uh, when I, when I believe in West Rock, I was actually a president. I was, I had risen to a level of president. So I was one of three presidents in the company. Right. And uh, I'd run a bunch of different businesses, had built some other internal organizations. Um, so that, that got me to 2017.
0: Yeah, great. So back to those days at Rock 10, let's say before you moved, you know, did you kind of feel like when Jim left and kind of lost a mentor that you needed to move on? Or was it just a a new opportunity with West Rock? Or was that an evolution of that business? Tell us a little bit about that transition, because you were there about almost 20 years, right, at Rock 10 before
1: you moved Yeah, 23 years, actually, yeah. 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 I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't feel that at the time. Um, The, the, when Jim left a guy that came that took the job was the CFO and and he and I had known each other a long time. And um, you know, he was providing plenty of opportunity for me to grow and develop. So um, you know, it was great. I think, you know, for me, it was interesting. We we, rock 10, we were kind of the scrappy um, you know, we were always the underdogs. When I started with rock 10, the company was a half a billion dollars. When Jim left, it was about a uh, 11 or 12, probably $11 billion business. And then we did the merger with Mead West Vaco and that's when we became West Rock. We were a 15 or $16 billion business. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. There was a lot of cool things about it. But that was kind of the time, I think, uh, Brant, when I was like, uh, you know, I don't know, the CEO and I had slightly different ideas around Mm -hmm. culture and philosophy. And when you're at the level of organization I am, that's a tough place to... Uh, to be so yeah, so right. uh, you know over over a year or so we kind of both came to the conclusion yeah it's probably time for me to get out of here and and, uh, and again I had a I had a wonderful career and I uh, have nothing but great things to say about my experience here but it was more around this culture shift from you know we became a major corporation right, versus right. I mean I, you know West Rock today is a fortune 100 company right, right and so in the process of being along the ride for a major corporation it was all fun but it started to feel a little bit too corporate for for me if you that get a makes little sense.
0: detached from it right we talked about this the other day right you get to a point where you kind of don't feel like you're as much into the day-to-day did you miss that
1: uh, oh of course yeah yeah, yeah.
0: it was yeah.
1: uh but again it was it was it was it was just a different it was a great experience and uh, uh but you know i'm a bit more of a free spirit and and <laughs> love to make things happen and create things. And, and it was getting harder and harder to do that in that it just, just the size of the company. So, sure.
0: so you've been with iconic since, uh, I think mid 2017, if I'm not mistaken, Were you recruited over there. Was that, uh, you know, someone that you knew that had gone and, you know, pulled you over there knew someone on the board. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah. I
1: mean, I, honestly, I was, uh, when I left West rock, I wasn't really looking for a job. I didn't want a job. I just want to take some time take off some and time decompress off. and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh you know it's always i think whenever you're in a job you never think anybody will ever hire you again for anything so uh so you know i was gone a day or two and you know we made the announcements within a few days i was already i started getting calls and
0: phones right yeah exactly <laughs> guys like me knocking at your door right
1: exactly exactly and i was like yeah not interested i understand I was something about this this guy he just the way he approached it and then he introduced me to one of the uh, uh at the time I wasn't a partner he was he was a principal in the business a guy named mike shared and i uh, had a nice conversation with mike and um and uh i'll tell you the one funny story i think i shared with you the other day and so i kind of got to know mike a little bit He was talking about a job he sent some information i said yeah you know i'm interested but i don't really want to do anything until next year And they go well we need to do something earlier Along the way, he convinced me to fly to Greenwich, Connecticut to go meet with the founding partners of Um, Atlas Holdings, who who is the primary uh, uh, sponsor of uh, Iconics. And I remember flying or driving to the Atlanta airport, calling my wife, going, Michelle, what am I doing? I I just... (laughs) i just i, was, I wanted, wanted to, to get out of a situation off. yeah i was, i, I just, just saw all this stuff with the big companies like now I'm, I'm flying to greenwich connecticut to meet with private equity guys like this is right. not my thing and she laughed at me and i ended up falling in love with those guys and i said everything you should say during a process to get hired i mean that, why they hired me i still don't know but um <laughs> they are just they're part of my family now and, and i re- really it was more about i just really like these people and i wanted yeah. to do something with yeah. them and so this happened to be the thing they needed help with at the time, and um, so that's how I ended up at Iconics. I mean, and how big again, is the like I was... said, most of my most of my uh, career choices in life have been uh, they're not that well thought out. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> how big was the company at the time when you joined? In, in
1: some, oh, geez, you know, it was a couple hundred million dollars in revenue, yeah, yeah. and uh, I remember the first week I showed up. I remember calling my partners and saying. Hey, this is a lot worse than what you guys kind of
0: describe. Like, <laughs> there, there are a few more things under the carpet here. Yeah, like
1: you—you me f- you to mention the fact that the business is currently cash flow negative and a few <laughs> other kind of key things. But no, they—I they, tease them about that. But uh, yeah, it was a couple hundred million dollars. It was struggling. It really was cash flow negative at the time because we were on—we right, were okay. still getting off a very expensive TSA. Uh, we acquired—we we carved this business off from NCR. Right. Uh, so it was right. a couple hundred million dollars at the time, and uh, and yeah, so and I inherited a good part of the the leadership team. I still have today. Right. They had been brought in a little bit before me. Um, mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. all relatively new, and we just set out. We put a stra. I'm a big strategy guy, Brent. So we sit down and put a strategy together, and we have just for the last four years, you know, it's been there's been there's been a lot of things thrown at us to to, to try to knock us off base, but uh, we've just pandemics,
0: you know, yeah, you know, pandemics.
1: There was a shortage <laughs> of all things. Uh, you know, sort we're the largest. Well I, we, well, I mean, literally, like even before the shortage of the pandemic shortage in 2018, 20, late 2017, like three months after I start, we're the largest manufacturer receipt paper in the world, which is like a right. commodity-grade of paper. Yeah. There's, this, there's this chemical called Leuco dye that all of a sudden there was a global shortage of, oh, okay. which happens to be the main thing used to make thermal paper. So there was right. a shortage of the one thing we, get, we had to have to run the company. So we, uh, you know, but it was fun, man. So So the last four years, we've just stuck to the strategy. Yeah. And uh, done some amazing things along the way, and built uh, you know our business today that is, you know, uh, roughly a half a billion dollars. Um, we're not cash flow negative. I can assure you that, or actually EBITDA is quite
0: strong. <laughs> I don't think uh, you would have stayed there that long if that was the case.
1: for <laughs> <It's great. laughs> fun, and we're constantly looking at new acquisitions and new things. We had we had a couple of big deals. One got killed by the European competition authority would have taken us almost three quarters of a billion dollars. So, you know, we've, we've done some really cool stuff up for the last uh, four years and and it's been, it's been a blast.
0: How many employees now?
1: Uh, You know, people always ask me that and I, we have roughly. (laughs)
0: Last count.
1: Well, you know, it's honestly, it's hard to keep up because we have about 50 or 80 positions open right now in the U.S. But I think in the U.S. we're around, let's say roughly 700, 750. Right. And in Europe, or about 100, 150. So globally, That's we're between about 800, 850 people.
0: Operations in Latin America and Asia as well, or are those expansion opportunities for you? Uh,
1: not, no and no, um, okay. we exited our, we had a business in Asia, we exited, we had a business in Chile that we exited. Um, so we, we, part of our strategy was to focus on the markets we thought we could win, which were right. US, Canada, we could say North America. We don't really sell into Mexico, although we have a plant there, and uh, and Europe. So we've really been focused on so uh, Europe cool. and North America. Yeah,
0: plenty of opportunity there. Cool. So yeah. over this arc of of twenty plus years of uh, of experience, you know, if you, talk to me a little bit about leadership. You know, some of the key leadership lessons you've learned from you know the early days. Obviously, the long term that you spent at Ten Rock, and then has that evolved to West Rock, and now you're with obviously a smaller, middle market size company and growing like crazy. You know, if you had to kind of just identify those two or three leadership lessons, what would they be?
1: You know, I always start when people ask me this question, especially, you know, a lot of uh, my young coworkers, I'll say, what do you want to do? And they'll say things like, well, I, don't do, well, I want to do what you do. I'm like, well, do you have any <laughs> idea what I do? Cause it's like, <laughs> I think people get lost in the idea of I want a bigger job versus what does that actually mean? Yeah. And one of the things I've learned really over the last four years of being a CEO is, you know the value of how how important wisdom is and everything that you do as a leader and and i define wisdom and not not as i've gotten old and so i know more than everybody else it's simply it's a collection of experiences and so mm. i've been really blessed over the last 25 20 30 years whatever of my life to have a number of unique and different experiences you know i've mm. done business all over the world i've managed different areas of businesses and And so what happens now is when a a major problem presents itself to the organization, I have some basis to say, this is important. We need to do something about it. Or, Hey, let's, this isn't, let's, we don't need to make a decision today. Let's just see how this plays out. And so I think the the advice I like to give my younger coworkers is, you know, develop those experiences because you can't be an effective leader if you don't have some basis of wisdom, uh, at, at a scale, like it being a CEO, right. it's hard to be a, the leader of a major company or a good sized company without having some basis of knowledge there. So that's one thing I always say is, and the reason I always tell young people that is because I remember being 30 years old, looking at the people at the top of the organizations I were in going, I could do that job. That doesn't seem <laughs> to
0: happen. Right.
1: Um, and, and I don't think I could have in retrospectively. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I would have figured it out probably, but... Um, the value of wisdom is a lot more important than I understood 20 years ago. Um, I think the other thing is uh, it's really hard for people to get leadership experience anymore in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so few people have real PL responsibility, even yep. in big companies.
0: Yep. So many organizations. Yeah. Like shared responsibility. Yeah.
1: Very isolated. At top. So I always encourage people. Hey, look, you're gonna get your leadership opportunities at the company. And, and at iconics, like we, we want we want our coworkers to be engaged and empowered to make decisions. But still at the end of the day, you know, there's only a couple P and L owners that happen to report to me that that, you know, so I always encourage people go find those leadership opportunities yeah. uh, outside of work. So, you know, coach a kids soccer team, get involved in your church, get involved in the school, get involved in the community, you know, serve on a charitable organization's board you know, expose yourself, uh, to leadership opportunities outside of work, which I, I, I found I didn't understand as I was doing those things. I was just kind of like, again, people would ask me to help out and I had a hard time saying no, Yeah. but yeah. those different opportunities to lead in those circumstances really, um, you know, there's one thing to have, uh, you know, there's you probably know the definition of power much better. Here, but look, when you're when you're the boss and you have powers, see you know, I can tell people what to do. But when right, you're sitting right. on a chair to be bored, you have to convince and listen and understand. That's a great way to get like a, a great yeah, leadership right. opportunity. I, and I think the other thing that is really I don't know if it's changed or maybe it was always there. Is I remember getting out of college, just thinking I just need a job. Like I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking about you know, with that particular I bills I need to pay. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, that, the thing I've learned today is just the importance of uh, of really connecting uh, and caring about the people that you work with. You know, yeah. that's you know, I always, I always, uh, you know, I don't. I use a phrase called coworker. I don't ever use the word employee because these are mm-hmm. my employees. These are my coworkers, right. and we all have jobs to do. We all have to report somebody. But to really, you know, value what everyone can bring to the table, and everyone's going to have some good days, and everyone's going to have some bad days, um, and to take care of and nurture and develop um, the people around you, yeah, you know, cool. you, you you know, again, I think think uh, typically when you're young and you're trying to climb that you know ladder it's not, you know, the more of you make it a competition against the person next to you, the less likely you're going to be a great leader. It's like figure out how to make those people around you better and better and better. And and, uh, again, I, again, I I think it was different 30 years ago. Honestly, I think it was like, you you know, you just head down, get your work done. And if you do good work, you'll get the promotion. You know, now it's more a little bit emotional IQ is way more important today than it was 30 years ago. And so I think I've learned that over the years.
0: You know, you've had a good mentor in gym. I'm sure there's been other coaches and teachers you've had along the way. But, uh, you know, usually over the uh, arc of a career of 25, 30 years and and women of our age, there's a few tormentors in our past as well. And without mentioning any names, tell us about times when you kind of just saw some really bad behavior. And just said to yourself, you know, I, I, I'm just never going to do that. Or, or I I need to make a change because boy, I've been treated that way and I never want anyone else to feel that same way.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I won't give any names, uh, but uh, (laughs) um, you know, I think, I think one of the, you know, one of the risks to be, you know, if I think about the people in my life, I'm like, wow, that person was a negative influence. And in fact, in one case is a really accomplished, smart person. And, and and the way I describe this person's leadership is like, you know, they're like the sun, you know, the earth needs the sun plants. We all need the sun to survive. And if you're a long way away from the earth, you really appreciate the sun. Like the sun's great. Like I love the sun. Like everybody loves the sun. And then the closer you get to you're like, wow, it's a little warm up here. (laughs) And in my case, I was, uh, you know, this was my boss and it was like, yeah, yeah, it's like the sun just constantly burned me. You know, I I didn't know when to put sunscreen on all the time. And so, you know, I think one thing to learn about is, you know, again, kind of going back to do your best as a leader to treat everybody consistently and transparently and don't, don't, you know, don't make it seem like to one group of people, oh, this person's great and cares about all of us when the reality is, is. You know, you're just beating the tar out of the people that are closest to you. And uh, that, that, I've seen that in a couple of occasions where um, you know, someone's image is one thing, but the reality of how they deal with their own team is pretty harsh. Um, I think the biggest things for me is you got to let people make decisions. You got to yeah. let people fail. I, you know, the worst leaders I've ever seen. And again, I have this, I think you and I talked about this. I, I, think, I think in uh, the, the world today, we've developed a lot of corporate managers and, yes. and not so many leaders. Right. And I think the worst leaders I see are corporate managers. they you are know, the ones that just will not let people make decisions around them yeah. and will not let people fail. And, and uh, at the end of the day, it just frustrates the people. Uh, you know, if you never get to make a decision, even if you're, even if the person that's making the decision makes good decisions, I mean, you, you start to lose your perspective and value. Like right. You just do your job. I don't, you know, so I always tell people, it's like, you know, I don't, I'm not I'm not hiring you to come on board at Iconics for me to do your job. I'm expecting you to do it and uh, yeah. I'll keep you on the rails. But you got to figure out how to make good decisions and do that. Yeah. So I think the worst leaders and corporate managers I've seen are, are also just they just don't let people make decisions. And, right. and are so right. I think right. it's like a self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I, I think it comes down to like self-preservation. Right. They're so scared that if their organization makes a mistake that their career is going to be over. Like they they can't they won't take any risks and uh, yeah. and uh, so I, again I could go on and on but uh, fortunately I've been surrounded by really good leaders most of my career so
0: well you don't you're, have you're too many in, bad in, examples and you're bringing in a lot of millennials you know right you're 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 now hiring them and training them perhaps even some in middle management and you know that's kind of a different group I mean I've I've certainly experienced it with my own kids let alone those in my organizations and you know a lot of old time CEOs are you know kind of more comfortable with having their you know, questions answered rather than their <laughs> their their answers being questioned. Yeah, that's good. And, well and, said. And, and, you know, and how, how do you kind of deal with that? I mean, you know, I, I, have there been instances where, you know, you've been in meetings where it's like, oh, my gosh, that, that you know, junior level director just spoke up. And, and you know, that, that's a really good point. You know, how do you deal with that? And is that something that, that occurs? And you encourage, you know, w- within the corporate culture.
1: economics. Uh, I, I, I hope it occurs in every meeting I'm in, because I really do encourage that. I, I, I uh, no problem making a decision, but I really, I really like to solicit a, a fair amount of diverse input. And, uh, you know, we have an executive coach that we work with at our executive no, team great. at Iconics. Yeah. And yeah. one of our biggest topics we talk about is candor and the importance yeah. of, of everybody being honest with one another to the point, like sometimes I just say, Hey, look, this is, I'm just going to remove myself from the room. Cause I know get into some of these topics. If I'm in the room, it changes right. the yeah. dynamic. And yeah. so, weren't
0: gonna say anything. Yeah. Right.
1: so I love candor. I actually, um, in just about every meeting that I host with a anybody else have anything to offer, any complaints, any good stuff, bad stuff. And I, and, and you know, people, especially now with COVID when you're on all these video calls, i I will individually go through everybody on the phone saying got anything sure okay great um and i love it i love when people i do have a it's it's a sound awful but if you think through the logic it makes sense it's like it's very hard to win an argument with your boss it's very easy to win a debate Mm -hmm. people say well that's a little old school i was like it's not old school at all arguments are based on opinions debates are based on facts so if i don't i don't care how much experience or how Younger or old that you are in the company, if you come to me and you have a really solid set of data based facts and you want to debate with me why what I'm doing is wrong, I, I'm easily convinced with and that facts. in facts. Yeah. yeah. if you come to me with, like, hey, I think this, but I don't have anything to back it up, I'm like, well, good. Thanks for sharing that. You know, yeah, so yeah. I think it's, I think, I think when you can create a really transparent organization full of candor that's, that's a data based organization, And you debate things on the merits of facts. I love it. I mean, I you know, to to sit in a conference room and have people throw out opinions and you know that gets back into the corporate America politics stuff. It's like eh, not so not so high on that. But uh, and I also would say about millennials, I think millennials get a bad rap. I do think there are two really generations within the millennial generation, which is. Yep, there is the generation that everybody likes to talk about that is, you know, doesn't like to get out of bed and has their own every yeah. It's all feel about entitled. me, 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 yeah. me, me, yeah. feel yeah. entitled. Yeah. And yeah. there's no doubt that that part of that generation exists. But I, what I find is the majority of the millennials that I've ever worked with are the opposite of that. I mean, they're very driven. Yeah. They right. really want to be successful. They do want to learn.
0: And they want to um, be heard.
1: They want to be heard. Yeah but they're not demanding like, Hey, my voice is more important than the next person." No. Like, hey, I have an opinion. I'd like you to listen to it. But, but, yeah. you know, I, I find that I think, you know, and I, and I happen to sit on a couple uh, business school boards and whenever I go back to these universities and I sit and meet these young folks, I mean, these aren't millennials anymore. I'm not, I don't even know what the current generation is, but um, you know, some unbelievably talented young people in this world that will eventually take over all these big leadership positions and, I think we're. I think our future's pretty bright in that regard.
0: Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, company culture is the job of the CEO, and some some would say number one job. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's kind of unique or different about the Econics culture, and h- how do you propagate that? You know, what do you do to, to to ensure, particularly with new people that come in, and you've got diverse operations in Europe, et cetera? Uh, tell us a little bit about about that. You know, wh- what's the culture, and how how do you keep it keep it plugged?
1: Well, listen, I think our culture starts. We have kind of five tenets to our culture, but our, it's the, the, the most important one is the safety of our co the health and safety yeah. of our co around the world. And so we spend a lot of time focused on making sure people understand that your safety is way more important to us than any dollar we'll mm-hmm. make and anything we do. Uh, and, and awesome. you know, Brant, we, <laughs> there's, we have a lot of things we do every day, every week, every month to drive that message, including I do at least one video a month that goes out to the entire company talking right. about what's right. happening on the safety front. Yeah. Uh, I talked earlier, another key, uh, really, I think the second most important thing to me in the organization is integrity. Um, we we make, and I define integrity as doing doing the right thing when no one's looking, you know, yeah, like right. what what is the right thing to do? And so... You know, we, we are not going to make an unethical decision. We're not going to do something unethical. We're not going to set a precedent. We're not going to, you know, just we're just we're going to operate our company with integrity 100% of the time across all levels of organization. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and how do we back that up? Listen, it, to some degree, it's the carrot. You know, like, here's the behaviors that we're going to reward people for. And so, some some that's a stick. If we have somebody that does something that is just, we have a zero tolerance for, for things around integrity um you know especially when we get into inclusive issues and we get into business decisions like really financial ethical business decisions so some of it's the carrot like we reward you before you bear but some of it's all canley's a stick it's like hey if you do that you just won't work here anymore um so that's that's a big part of our culture and we we've, we've made some big decisions that we drove through the industry that changed the industry mm-hmm. um that no one had the guts to do before and it cost us money okay. but it was the right thing to do cool. i love having um you know, engaged coworkers um, and empowered coworkers. So, um, you know, I really do try to force decisions down to the closest level of in the in the organization where they should be made, not not at a high level. Um, you know, I don't know that that happens all the time. I think we, we're getting better and better at it. But, you know, one of the way I reinforce that is like, I just won't make a decision for somebody if I think it's their decision. Like, you gotta, you gotta go figure this out.
0: Yeah, right. And,
1: right. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure that always happens <laughs> all levels of organization, but uh, I think we're getting, we're getting better and better and better in, in that area. And, um, um, so we're, we're, we're pleased with that. I, you know, I think the other thing is, is there's a little bit of a pun included in this, you know, our strategy is based upon, um, the teachings of a guy named Roger Martin, who I happen mm-hmm. to be, uh, happened to have, we w- was close enough to be work with him personally for a couple of years at West rock. And yeah. Yeah. he wrote a book called playing to win, which is all about strategy. And so, you know, one of the last things i think about cultures you know, i want people on my team that want to win and right. not just come to work you know, i want people to come to work with a purpose i want them to say hey this is the best thing to do and this is why we're going to it's going to help us win and i always equate it to i'm a golfer and i always equate it to hey i got my buddies i play golf with that like to go out and mess around have a couple beers they're not they don't care about winning and i got people i know are out there they're practicing and they're driving hard <laughs>
0: getting handicapped yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I love to play golf with the guys that like drink beer. In fact, that's probably where I fall into on the golf course. But, you know, it's, it, when I'm talking about the, on the company side, I really want that person that wants to be prepared, wants to work mm-hmm. hard, wants to win. Not just like, hey, I'm doing this because I got be- nothing better to do on a Tuesday morning. So, yeah. um, you know, I think those are the kind of the key culture things. You know, how we drive that is, 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 is behaviors. You know, it's, right. it's the right. behaviors reward. It's the behaviors we exhibit it's a decision people thing. are always we,
0: looking at you craig j- just like your oh, yeah. kids right they're always looking to see how you're behaving right yeah
1: um yeah. No, no doubt no doubt and um, yeah. so anyways and I, again you know, i think through covid we we've tried to over communicate um is i mean COVID is a great example where i think we, we became as leaders of the company the data point for for our coworkers on what was true and what was not true they were hearing so much stuff you know so we try to say, "Hey, look, this is what's important to the company. This is how it's going to impact you, how it's going to impact us, how it's going to impact the economy," and really, you know, communicate every day the things that are important. The social justice issues last year, you know, yeah. we explained to people what our position was and what, why it mattered, why it mattered to them, the company, and so you know, whatever it is around culture, we try to not only reinforce our behaviors but also talk about it and be transparent, and communicate yeah. with people.
0: We got a couple more questions, but we're getting close to the end of our time. But uh, I do have to ask you about this. I told you one of the motivations for this podcast was, you know, uh, a millennial challenged me on, well, do you think you really know all the answers as to why, you know, people get hired elsewhere? <laughs> and, and my response was no. And so my question to you is, you know, what do you do? I mean, how do you make those decisions about the people you want to invest in and hire personally? What do you look at? Yeah. Because it's so hard to do it in an interview situation.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's... Um, I can tell you what I, what I, one of the key things for me is can this person think process data and think independently. Yeah. Um, so that's like a big thing, which that sounds like, oh, everyone can do that. It's not that simple. You can, it's when you, when you look at someone's resume and talk to me, you can kind of go, okay, I can, I see where they've done some things in this area. I think people, I like people that are doers. Um, one thing that I don't like is when I ask somebody what they do within the first 15 seconds of interview, they can tell me how many people are report to them in their organization. I, mm-hmm. I don't, you asked me the question, earlier, I don't even know. Um, right. I mean, is it important? I'm sure I mean, we know as a company, but it's like, it's not how many people you manage. It's not how big your organization is. It's, you know, yeah. what are you doing to impact change? And so yeah. Yeah. so it's, it's, it's a turn off for me when people try to tell me, big their job is or was and it's more of a turn on when people say look here's the things i did to impact change in this person or this organization or this thing um which, again, is, is hard to get to, but I think uh, you've you've done enough uh, interviewing, Brad. It's it's easy to see when you see it, you know? You're yeah, like, okay, this right. person is it. So, I, and I again, I go back to candor. You know, I want people on my team. I'm not going to hire yeah. somebody, I think. It's just there's no question. And I, I have a strong personality, and, um, you know, I can't hire someone that's, I, I think, well, this person's not going to stand up to me. I need somebody that's going to challenge yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I'm not looking for people to say, Yes. Yeah, yes. But... Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I mean, I think those are some of the big key things. Mm-hmm. I, I am, um, you know, experience to me is important, but it's not as like I I, I don't I'm not one of these people who thinks you got to have 30 years of industry experience to mm-hmm. know how to you know takes I mean, most industries aren't that complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, diversity of thought is important to me. Um, you know, I think. We we, we, all, we do try to be extremely inclusive at Iconics, and we do have a relatively diverse company. Um, and it's not a black-white thing, male-female thing. It's just I like to have a lot of diversity of thought. You know, I need yeah, right. old and young and operations and sales and accounting. And, you know, so having a diverse group of people and people that understand the importance of diversity of thought is is also kind of a key thing for me when I'm hiring somebody to be at the executive level.
0: Yeah, cool. Last question, which we usually ask, you already answered. So I've got to rephrase it a little bit. That's the kind of life (laughs) advice you'd give to someone else. So I'm going to ask it to you this way. Thinking back to where you were, kind of in your late 20s, early 30s, which is really the, the, the target zone of our listenership, right? Most of the folks that listen to this podcast are kind of at that career. You know, they're in their first job. They're advancing through middle management. They're taking a look around. What would you tell your younger self at that age about your career? Would you say... Do this differently or, you know, keep to the course or looking back, is there, what advice would you give that younger, you know, 27, 32 year old Craig? Well, this
1: might be a little bit earlier than 27 or 32, but I, I, when I, when I do talk to, uh, you know, kids coming out of school or management school, whatever, you know, my, my, my simple advice is live, learn or learn, live and lead, you know, Mm keep keep learning no matter no matter where you are and the younger you are you're going to be more heavyweighted weighted on the learning side you know I think about people in their 27s to 30s I, you know what if i had one complaint about my professional career i you know i clearly sacrificed probably some of my family life and time with my wife and kids when they were young to travel yeah. travel and just you know 100 hour weeks and so sure, sure. don't forget to live a little bit and i, and I think um I remember when my kids were young, I had another great mentor, his name is Mike Kapir. I said, Hey man, these kids are gonna grow up, you know. Yeah.
0: You spend time them shot, with them, spend
1: time Yeah, it happens quicker than you think. And here I am, just my, my oldest son's now a sophomore at Clemson and it was like, Wow, how'd that happen? And so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you know, I, I think about learning when you're young, you always gotta keep learning, but it's gonna be overweight when you're young. I think living your life so I think kids yeah. excuse me, young adults are kids. I'm getting old now, so it's but oh, wrong, word, but I think yeah. these young adults, twenty five to thirty five it's okay to have a little fun and live. You don't, you know, don't, you know, I see so many 30 year olds that you just like, man, this person is going to be burnt out in five, yeah, 10 years. It's yeah, like yeah, live yeah. your life a little bit, keep learning, live, and then start to transition into being a leader and, and taking on leadership responsibilities. And then the older you get and the more mature you get, you know, that's when you're going to be ready to take on big leadership things. So I, I think, I think that age group is career wise, you know, keep doing what we're doing. Be patient. Like I said earlier, when yeah. you're 30, you think you're smarter than the CEO. Every, that's how I was. Everybody <laughs> thinks that. Um, but keep learning. Keep, 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 be persistent. Do what you, have an opinion. You know, I think you want to get noticed in a company. If you're just going to show up and kind of put the spreadsheets together and never really offer solutions, the people that get noticed do the hard work. Right. And then they earn the right to, 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 go, to walk into the CEO's office and have that's an idea. idea. Yeah, you should, right. you should take a look at this and, and, um, and, you know, so be persistent with those ideas, but you can also be respectful. You know, it's not, uh, your job is not to get your 45 year old boss fired so you can have their job. That's, that usually doesn't work out that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, but I, you know, when I go change, I don't know, man, I like, I wish I could say I had a really calculated prescriptive way. I always, what I mostly tell young people is don't try to do it the way Craig Gunkel did it. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how it actually worked out for me. But 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 reality is, is like everybody's got a story and make it your story. And uh, and um, you know, don't don't miss. I guess it goes back to my philosophy now that wisdom is really important, which is why when you're 25 to 35, live life a little bit. Because, yeah. uh, you know, if you're spending most of your day, all you're doing is your job and whatever company you work for, thinking about what they do and you're not expanding your horizons on your emotional IQ, Just your general intelligence about the world and the economy and how people, you know, really how people interact with one another. You're never going to be ever really to transition into a bigger role. You you have to have a bigger perspective than what you're currently doing, if that makes sense. I said a lot there. Again, most things I say in context. uh, There's too much there, but uh, hopefully that'll resonate with somebody.
0: Well, Craig Kunkel, CEO at Econix, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: You got to thank you, Brent, for having me. I really enjoyed it.